The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So you might have noticed, those of you who've been coming, we're moving our way through the 16 instructions the Buddha gave for mindfulness of breathing. This is one of his most sophisticated, nuanced set of meditation instructions. And it's really an amazing map. And it really speaks to the one of the essential uh, principles, I guess you'd say, in the Buddhist teachings. Because a lot of what's going on in our lives, we don't, I'm sure you've noticed, we don't have a lot of control of it, right? Even our personality. Anybody in control of their personality? No. But we can learn, discover, and then because we start having confidence that it matters, we can start training the mind <clears throat> in terms of how it pays attention and what it pays attention to in the present moment. That we can do. Right? Like, you could be paying attention to some little disturbing thing. Maybe you have a hangnail, right? And you could just obsess about that the whole time you're here, or it's possible that wisdom might arise and say, yeah, you have a hangnail, it's unpleasant, but it doesn't do any good to obsess about it, so don't pay attention to it, right? And you could train yourself like, to pay attention to the words or to your breath or to some other aspect of your experience. And if we don't take up that training around what my mind is paying attention to, and how it's paying attention, like with interest or with kindness versus in a distracted and unkind way, right? we begin to see like, well, that's a real potent intervention in the present moment, how I'm paying attention and what I'm paying attention to. It's shockingly potent. Because a lot of times, like I mentioned, we can feel helpless in life by just the force of our habits and what's swirling around us, the people we're around, and what that triggers in us. Like when someone acts that way, find myself acting in this way. It can kind of feel at times locked in. And it's because we haven't gotten this instruction you know, from the Buddha and probably others, but the Buddha made a big deal of this the power, right? It's a karmic act. It's subtle. You know, we don't think of it as impactful, but over time it's incredibly impactful. But we have to train the mind in this way that we normally don't train the mind. Normally we just let the mind pay attention to whatever it's in the habit of paying attention to. And the way we pay attention is also whatever mood we happen to be in. So if I'm in a grumpy mood, I pay attention to what I'm in the habit of paying attention to with grumpiness. Or if I'm in a lustful mood, really wanting stuff, then I pay attention with that lens. I notice things I like and want. But all that can be trained. That's just habit. And any habit that the mind has can be transformed to another habit. But if we just keep acting out habits, they just get stronger. Which is why, you know, as you notice people who are older, right, 
they can feel sort of like they have an ossified, locked-in mind. Like, oh my God, that person has, you know, three or four moves in terms of their personality. Because they've gotten ossified. It's like, oh yeah, you know, like you see your grandpa or you see your parent or you see an older friend and you just see like, you can kind of predict they're going to be this way, that way or this other way. And there's no, it doesn't change. It just, they become more who they are. And it's always so nice when you run into an older person and not only their mind, but their body, even their old aged body has a kind of litheness, aliveness, nimbleness. Like they're really still learning. I had this chance a while back to spend six weeks at uh, Ajahn Mahabua's monastery. He was probably 92 at the time. And he was one of the great um, Thai meditation masters, Buddhist monks, really respected in Thailand. And, you know, he didn't teach in English. Um, and there's some really senior Western monks there that I could, uh, you know, check in with my practice about. But just observing him, you know, because he was quite popular. So there's always every day for the meal, you know, sort of mid-morning meal, the one meal that the monks would have, there'd be hundreds of lay people there bringing food for all the monks and nuns. And there'd be a big scene around the sky. And he'd give a talk after the meal. See, I could just observe him. And it just, he seemed like, you know, more alive, more alive, more present than your typical 18, 20-year-old, even though he had a 92-year-old body. But you didn't get the sense, like just how he would laugh and kid around and, you know, just really fluent, really fluid and fluent with whatever was happening around him. And it's really a scene because the way, I mean, just the cultural etiquette around bringing food to monastery, it's like your gift really matters if it gets offered to the top person, right? So basically, he has to receive every single dish of these couple hundred people that brought food. And not only that, most of the monks and nuns would walk and do, or the monks would do alms round. So they'd come back with a bunch of food, and that would need to get distributed to everybody. And so it was just this like amazingly orchestrated circus of food, dishes, everything having to get and he'll take just a little bit because, you know, after a while, his bowl gets pretty full. And just being an older person, I don't think he ate too much. But he had, everything would be received by him. Then he'd pass it on and then it would get distributed to all the monks, all the nuns, all the lay people. And just this, uh, it had such a nice, light feeling of joy, just how this all happened. And uh, he really set the tone for this. And so this... Um, de-ossification, right? This sort of loosening up of habit energy is really about, it happens through the mind realizing it matters, what I'm paying attention to. And if I always do what I've always done, that's how the mind gets ossified. But it gets stuck in its groove. The grooves get deeper and deeper. So if our tendency is to worry, if our tendency is to be afraid, our tendency to be defensive, our tendency is to want to be seen. And if that's the lens that determines how we're paying attention, what we're paying attention to, then it gets stronger and stronger. That personality pattern gets stronger and stronger. 
And we literally get imprisoned over the years. I mean, uh, this is a little scary. This is the one thing that should actually scare us, is that habits matter. And repeating habits matter because they tend to get deeper and deeper. So it's really good to sort of do our best to be honest with ourselves. And hating ourselves for our bad habits, that's a bad habit too, right? To kind take our bad habit personally. We're responsible for it. We're responsible for being as skillful as we can be in any moment. But it's not really personal, those tendencies. They got set in motion through impersonal causes and conditions. But we want to take responsibility for them. So this is where we start with the mindfulness of breathing practice. So I'm going to review the first eight out of 16 instructions. And remember, you can get a lot of information on our website. You can either go right to the website Under resources, you'll see Buddhist studies as one of the drop-down items. When you get to the Buddhist studies page, you're going to see the fall course information there. But if you look to the right, you see all the past courses. One of them is on mindfulness of breathing. If you click on that, you get all the resources. The first one will be the 16 instructions. So you can see a really good translation. It's very simple. So the first two instructions... Breathing in long, one experiences, one understands I'm breathing in long. Breathing out long, one understands I'm breathing out long. And as I mentioned in the guide, it's said, it's just your ordinary breath, which tends to be, relatively speaking, long because the body is in its normal, agitated state. So our breath tends to reflect that by being a, you know, a grosser, longer breath. And that's just the way it is, and that's fine. So, But now we're training the mind to pay attention to that breath in a relaxed but persistent way, like not forgetting it. But we will forget it. So we make the bar very low, just through that, whatever that length of time between the beginning of the in-breath and the end, can the attention sustain awareness of that physical experience. You might feel it as a rising in your belly, expansion of the ribcage, touching at the nostrils, or however, doesn't matter, because what we're doing is we're using that present moment happening of the breath to drop everything else. Whatever else the mind might be paying attention to, no matter how, however else the mind might be paying attention, like in a grumpy way. And it's that in this kind, clear, curious way, we're just aware of the in-breath. And I think I mentioned this in the guided sit, like if ever you were outside and you came across a wild animal, an interesting wild animal, you, the quality, think about the quality of attention in the mind. You'd really be listening, you'd be looking, your whole body and mind would get still, like, oh, wow. I've never seen a fox before. I've never seen him in a bobcat before. Some, you know, kind of interesting. Or once I was on retreat, and I noticed uh, I was just doing walking practice, and I noticed at the end of my walking lane, something. It was weird because it was coming right at me, like this. And then when it got a couple feet in front of me, I just like thought that bird was going to hit me. It was just a little chickadee. And then I started connecting the dots, and I realized 
that the birds in this area had gotten trained because it was a, a well-known Buddhist retreat. And uh, a lot of board retreatants over the years have figured out that if you put some sunflower seeds in your hand, or people would do weird things, you know, they'd do their walking practice, but they'd have a few sunflower seeds on their shoulder or on top of their head. <laughs> and these chickadees would just come land. It would give them something to kind of... Did you notice that, Dave, when you were out there? Anybody feeding the chickadees? Yeah, well. <laughs> people are embarrassed because they're not supposed to do this. So they do it out in the woods <laughs> where no one can see them. But the chickadees have, you know, over the generations have gotten trained that when they see human beings, there are seeds on them. <laughs> so that's what was happening. So I did that once, you know, when I wasn't too embarrassed. I took some seeds, you know, and I stood out. And the, yeah, sure enough, the chickadees would land on your hand and take a seed, fly away, and then another one would come. And it was really interesting. Like then, the mind had no problem being curious, like really paying attention. There was no distraction in the mind. Like I didn't have to worry about my mind wavering and thinking about what's for lunch or, you know, what was that sweater that that other person was wearing. The mind just doesn't waver. It's just so wrapped in the awareness of the chickadees. It's amazing how light they are, given their size. No wonder they can fly. They're almost like not much of anything when they actually land on your hand. And just to see the quick, sharp movements of birds close like that is really... right. So just that curiosity. Now, imagine if we could train the mind to be that curious about an in-breath or an out-breath. Just the physicality of that natural process of breathing in or breathing out. See, then we'd really feel that letting go of the whole world because the mind has picked up its interest in breathing in and breathing out. And you'll notice that the breath goes from long to short, from gross to refined and subtle. And it can get really, really subtle as the whole system settles down. And it's just a matter of training your mind to pay attention to this one ordinary thing, breathing in and breathing out, to the exclusion of everything else, and to pay attention in a relaxed way. And that could be quite difficult for some of you, depending on your personality type. You know, the more controlling folks in the room, we tend to want the habit, the deep habit in our mind might be to want to control whatever we're paying attention to. So if you're paying attention to your spouse, you want to control them. Paying attention to your pet, you're paying attention to your toothbrush, like when you're brushing your teeth, you brush your teeth in a controlling way because it's just a personality type. So then you have to untrain your mind. You have to train your mind to pay attention in a kind, relaxed, but still interested way, like persistent, not forgetting. And it can take some time. But it's really well worth the training to train the mind how to be intimate without being hard or aggressive. Because the mind can be trained. And we just keep starting over. And so some of you, you know, you'll be really good at the not being controlling, but there's too, too much looseness. So the mind keeps going off into its habits and starts to think about this or imagine that, right? Others of you will be really good at locking your attention in because that is your personality type. 
but you bring a kind of aggressive, hard, controlling energy to it. So we're all going to have to retrain the mind, like how to be persistent without losing the ease you already that already comes naturally, or how to you know, appreciate the sort of discipline that you have in your mind, but relax and not be so controlling. Right? So different people in the room will be ha- learning different lessons, and that's the first two instructions. And then we move, like I mentioned last week, to an inclusive awareness of the in-breath and the out-breath, right? So just quite naturally, it's, it's part of the process of relaxing because this more exclusive attention to the sensations of breathing in and out is a useful tool for dropping like that full attention to the in-breath because it's full, because it's very specific, and I'm training the mind to really gather, to be full, to be unwavering in the awareness of the in-breath, then I can't be aware of anything else. But now we're going to broaden, we're going to realize that present moment is an inclusive experience. Right? And when you tune into the present moment right now, see, there aren't naturally boundaries about what I am and what I'm not aware of. You see how the present moment is an inclusive thing? Like where's the boundary now when you're aware of the present moment? Where's the boundary between seeing and hearing? Or feeling the sits bones on the chair, cushion, and feeling the hands? It's like the present moment is all inclusive of all of that, isn't it? When you relax the awareness, it's all here. So we could have a one-pointed attention, but the one point is all-inclusive. That, so that third instruction of moving to whole body awareness, it's really this very important point that the one-pointedness of present moment awareness is an inclusive awareness. The one-pointedness is that it's here and now, right? Here and now. We're not confused by our thoughts like about what happened yesterday. That thought about what happened yesterday is something that's happening here and now. Yesterday doesn't exist. Your house only exists, or your apartment only exists as a thought right now. Does that make sense? Right, so like in terms of your subject, I'm not talking about objectively, because in our practice, there's only our subjective experience, right? When we're being aware of the present moment, all we have is our present moment experience, and we can have lots of thoughts. I can have thoughts of the ancient Babylonians, you know, who lived whatever that was ten thousand years ago. But that's not the ancient Babylonians. That's just this little, whatever a thought, oh yeah, the ancient Babylonians. Whatever that is, it's not much of anything. And if there's like a mental image that goes with it, from reading the Encyclopedia Britannica when I was a kid, you know, then that's all that is. It's just that little mental image and then that thought and any emotional content that might go with that. But that's all it is and it's here and now. 
and it's inclusive of everything else that's here and now. And that's really what we're learning with that breathing in, experiencing the whole body. We're learning that we can be aware of the breath, but now the breath is more in the periphery and in the center, in the forefront of attention is the inclusive quality of the present moment. As one of my teachers calls it, the one point that includes everything. That's like a definition of the present moment. It's the one point that includes everything. And that's different than exclusive meditation practices where we take up like a mantra or visualization or the breath or loving kindness as an exclusive object of awareness. Those are really great, powerful trainings that we do that other spiritual traditions use. You know, the kind of one-pointed with an object, a particular or specific object. But because we're developing more of a wisdom practice that we want to see things as they are. So we're relaxing that part of the mind that's picking favorites. The tip of the nostril is my favorite. Everything else has to go to the periphery. right? So that's what we do for the first two instructions. We're using a particular way to feel exclusively the physicality of the breath. And that means we're not interested in anything else. And when the mind goes to something else, in a gentle but persistent way, we come back. But now we're using the whole body as we breathe in, whole body as we breathe out. And we realize it's quite, it leads naturally to a calming. Because now the mind that is arising, the mind that's knowing the whole body, now the mind is becoming the mind that doesn't have a problem with the body that's being felt as you breathe in and the body that's being felt as you breathe breathing out. And so that mind that is aware of the whole body breathing in, whole body breathing out, is a mind, is the wisdom that's okay, doesn't have a problem with the body being the way it is. Doesn't mean you don't have pain in your body, doesn't mean that the chronic problems you have with your body have gone away. It just means right now as you're breathing in for that half breath, this mind that's knowing the body, feeling the body, it doesn't have a problem with the body. And that's a calm experience. And then as you breathe out for that simple duration, the mind not aware of the whole body, intimate with the whole body, but not having a problem with the body. So when you go to this fourth instruction that's about calm, right, One trains oneself, breathing in, experiencing calm, or calming the body, calming bodily formations, breathing out, calming bodily formations. However faint it is, just notice where there's some calm and keep that in mind. Because it will naturally spread. Like where already is the mind okay with the body? And then you feel, notice the calm, like, my mind isn't at war with those sensations. My mind isn't in denial of those sensations. The mind isn't wanting those sensations to be different than they are. Right? So we Now, if you've been doing the practice all along, then that will be pretty easy. But now we're moving ahead through the map because we're learning the map. So you may be moving to these further instructions before you're so you know so called ready, but that's okay, 
because it really helps to learn the whole map. So for this month and next month into, into December, we'll just learn the 16 steps. But when you practice at home, just go to the beginning, do that more exclusive awareness, and then just check in with the mind because you might move to step eight. You might be really into that, noticing the quietness, the calming of thought as you breathe in and breathe out because that's just where you're at. And you can go right there because you know the map. You know like when the mind is in a gross place, we practice with gross instructions. When the mind is in a subtle place, we practice with subtle instructions. Okay? So we did the first four. Breathing in long, breathing out long. We're understanding where there's just enough clarity, enough curiosity. Yeah, that's a long breath. It's an ordinary breath, in and out. Oh, now it's a more subtle, refined breath. That's the second instruction. Breathing in short, breathing out short. The mind is just understanding, yeah, this is a more refined, more quiet breath in and out. More inclusive awareness of the whole body as you breathe in. Training the mind to be aware of the whole body as you breathe out. Calming the body as you breathe in. Calming the body as you breathe out. Then what begins to arise then when the, that calm is somewhat pervasive through the body and mind is a sense of joy. And that joy is really, you know, it's like interesting that the experience of joy, like if I did a quiz and the, the question, the one question in the quiz was, tell me what joy is. You know, not abstractly, not theoretically, but your actual experience, like when joy is happening for you, how do you know it's joy? What are the characteristics that tell you, oh yeah, there's joy in the mind? It's like a lot of us would be a little bit stumped because we haven't really paid attention to joy, what it is. So I'll give you a few hints of how it looks for me, and that might help you recognizing it in your own subjective experience as you're breathing in and as you're breathing out. So the fifth instruction, the Buddha says, one trains oneself breathing in, experiencing joy. Breathing out, experiencing joy. So joy, as I experience it, is when in the body-mind experience, there's a sense of flow. Now it can be very subtle at first, just a little lightness like the absence of things feeling solid. So one thing, if you're feeling a lot of pervasive calm at the end of the fourth instruction, breathing in, breathing out, then in that kind of nice, calm experience of the body, just to notice in the body and mind where the energy of life, the energy of your experience, seems unrestricted, alive with energy freely moving, freely vibrating, freely flowing, light, pleasant. Now again, it may be quite faint, but just like you did with calm, you're keeping it in mind. You're not keeping the agitation in mind, you're keeping the joy in mind. That's the hard thing. Because our mind likes to look at the bad stuff, the dangerous stuff, the stuff we want to get rid of. But you'll notice the whole course of these 16 instructions We're training the mind to follow this thread of joy or pleasantness from more gross pleasantness, 
like. The first two instructions are all about the pleasantness of non-distraction. We're putting down distraction. It feels nice, actually, even though it's not easy. And the pleasantness just gets more refined. So now we're at that more bright, joyful, rapturous, flowing experience of mind. And, And eventually it sort of fills more and more the space of the mind and body. So it's like every cell, every part of the mind has a gentle, serene smile, like, wow, this is nice. This is light. This is flowing. This feels like life energy is less restricted, less friction. Feels good. And the more that that good feeling is met with intimacy, breathing in, intimate with joy, breathing out, intimate with joy, right? That's, that's the instruction. It triggers a more resonant happiness. What the Buddha calls sukha is the Pali word. Rapture or joy is piti, in case you're interested. Sukha is more like contentment or ease. Uh, I don't have to go anywhere because it feels good here. right? That's contentment, isn't it? It feels safe. It feels good. It's that hungry um, doer in the heart looking for a good place. But now the heart has found a good place. So that doer who needs to get somewhere gets quieter. Right? Oh. I feel good. You're in the hands of a really good masseuse. It's like, I don't feel any need to go anywhere. I can completely trust this person, you know. And it's a really nice, easeful feeling to be in good hands, isn't it? If you had that opportunity. So again, we're training the mind to be intimate intimate with ease, contentment, as you breathe in, as you breathe out. And then that ease, that contentment, really allows the wisdom or the mind to trust. It feels like it doesn't need to go anywhere. So it's okay with thoughts. It doesn't feel pushed around by mental activity, by the different feelings and perceptions and thoughts that come and go in the mind. So then the Buddha asks, so this would be the first four. Now we're in the second set of four. So we have joy, we have ease, and now we're looking at mental activity. So actually, thought, for example, is the object of awareness. We're breathing in and we're aware of whatever mental activity. Now generally, if we're at this place, it's relatively chilled out, mental activity. But notice how the mind doesn't have a problem, doesn't feel pushed around by the different thoughts, the different intentions, the different feeling tones that come up. It's just mental activity being known as you breathe in. And just any mental activity that's there being known as you breathe out. And you're really noticing the dispassionate or the spacious relationship that wisdom, the mind, has towards mental activity. Normally, mental activity pushes the mind around. The mind says this, Either we're fighting the thought, oh, I should be thinking that, or we're just immediately following the thought. right? But now it's like, I'm in a good place, thoughts, you could just do whatever you want. And that's what leads to that last of the second set of four, 
which is quieting the mind or calming the thinking mind. So breathing in, calming the thinking mind, mental activity. Breathing out, calming mental activity. It's not that you are directly calming the thinking mind. It's the dispassionate, that willingness to be relating to thought, to just let thoughts be thoughts, that's what calms the mind. So you're noticing that the think the thinking is calming. You're not calming the thinking mind. You're noticing that it's getting quieter. You see the difference? It's an important difference. So you're not doing it. You're noticing the natural process. When the mind takes up joy, when the mind takes up ease, when the mind notices its dispassionate awareness of mental activity, then there's a calming of mental activity. Right? So it really, a lot of the second set of four has to do with feeling tone. We're noticing joy and we're letting it be. We're noticing ease and we're letting it be. We're noticing any other mental activity because joy and ease, those are mental activities. You'll feel it energetically, viscerally, the joy and the ease, but it's really a happiness of the mind. Joy being a rougher happiness and ease being a more grounded resonant happiness. Now we're just noticing any other remaining mental activities. And because we've made peace with joy, ease, and any other remaining mental activity, we notice how quiet it gets precisely because we're aware of mental activity without making a big deal out of it. We're just letting it be. And that sets up the next set of four instructions, which are about experiencing the space of the mind, not the activity of the mind. So here the Buddha is dividing the mind into two categories, just to kind of make it easy. There's mental activity, but that mental activity, like intention to do something, perceptions that we have when we recognize experience, intention to, oh, I said that, yeah, and uh, any other sort of thoughts or mental activity. That's one category. And the other category, where does that mental activity happen? In the space of the mind, or the space of the heart, you could say. And that we'll get to in the next few weeks. Okay? So we have about 15 minutes. Presumably some of you have been working on this. It'd be nice to hear what you've learned. I have more to say, but I think it's, probably good to hear from other people for a while. And remember, there's an important etiquette we have at the center. We ask people stay to 8.30 on Sunday evening, not to think that the community discussion is optional, and really to kind of sense into the community so that, like, if you're somebody who tends to have questions, want to speak up, to really sense into that. I mean, it's generally great for people to speak up, but to do that in the context of who you see around you who maybe hasn't spoken as often. Yeah, just to take care of everyone in this way. So thoughts you have, what you've been learning as we move through the sort of, I mean, really the 16 steps are just paying attention to relatively gross aspects of our present moment experience to the most subtle. What comes to mind? What questions do you have? Yeah, please start us off. I'm Steve, 
And as you describe these, they sound like sequential activities. You do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight uh, so far. Except that really we're practicing where it's appropriate to practice. The more we know the map and the more we recognize how the mind is doing right now, the more we sort of know right where to go. Because the objects get more subtle, so if the mind is gross, it, doesn't, it isn't easy to notice the more subtle objects. But the same is true. If your mind is in a pretty subtle place, a pretty subtle place, and you're trying to force it to know the physicality of the in and out breath, you might find it really frustrating because you're asking the mind to notice something gross when what's actually the mind is interested in is something more subtle. So when I'm practicing this at home, if it just seems right to to go through one and two quickly and, and start on three and four, that's perfectly okay. Well, you might sit down and, and there may be a lot of ease right there already. So you might go right to step number, so that would be six, right? One trains oneself. And again, you don't have to say it all out. I'm just saying the official translation so you can kind of get it embedded in your mind. So one trains oneself, breathing in, experiencing ease. One trains oneself, breathing out, experiencing ease. So just notice what, like, it's very interesting, like in a sit, to ask the mind, what's predominant? Like, where does the attention want to go? What does mindful awareness want to be mindfully aware of right now? And then that, tells the mind something about at, at what frequency you know it's operating relatively gross rough distracted frequency or relatively refined settled frequency or quality yeah thanks yeah please back of the room and then we'll go to you misty hi i'm adrian um i'm kind of getting stuck on um whole body um whole body step because um, I can open up to a certain extent. I get a sort of a holistic kind of sense um, of, you know, maybe not seeing if my eyes are closed, but, you know, feeling, hearing, you know, sensing on the skin and body. And sometimes it kind of fuses into this sort of, um, you know, stillness um it's not moving you know from like but sometimes it is sometimes i'm going oh am i feeling my feet am i feeling my whole body you know and so i'm kind of doing this inventory where i'm sort of gathering things to you don't have to do that that would be that would be a little hindrance creeping in doubt like doubt am i doing this right because this is the thing and it's i'm really glad you asked this question because it's important Because when we hear that instruction, one trains oneself breathing in, experiencing the whole body, we feel like there's a right and a wrong way to do it. But our whole body experiences exactly what you experience when you're aware of your whole body. It doesn't need to be different than what we're experiencing. So more than like getting it right, it's about trusting what we're noticing in that experience of the whole body. And we really have to get out of the box because we might have this idea of what the whole body experience is. But if the mind is somewhat settled, 
the experience of the whole body may be very much not body-like. Like, it may be more like not much of anything as we breathe in, experiencing the whole body. Like, if you can, right now, be aware of the whole body, what is the experience of the whole body without any idea or mental image? What is the actual physicality of the whole body? And you'll notice there may be (coughs) some sharp sensations, but there's a lot of space, empty space, in the experience of the body. It's like a pixelated, like some sharp sensations, but it's mostly like when you when scientists study, you know, molecules and atoms. It's mostly space, and when a human being studies mindfulness of the body, it's mostly space, and it's shocking. So then we do exactly what you said, Adrian. We we sort of no wait a minute. There's got to be feet here. There's got you know. And we, we start reconstructing more of the idea of what we expect to feel when we're aware of the body. And the key is, trust your actual experience, even if it feels like you're totally wrong. Well, it's the way that it is. Same with the first two steps. Don't worry about how the breath is. It's going to be the way it's supposed to be. How would we know how the breath is supposed to be? So how we feel it is the way it is. Same with the body. Same with calm, like don't suppose you know what calm is. Just be have the intention to be aware of calm as you breathe in and as you breathe out. And eventually over time, you really get what that settledness of calm is. It's really, like I said, it's not so much the body, although it's felt viscerally in the body. It's really about the mind not disturbing the body because the mind doesn't have a problem with the body. And because the mind isn't, isn't disturbing the body, then the body feels good. It's being left alone. Normally the mind is tormenting the body because it doesn't like the pain in my knee. You know, it doesn't feels put upon. The mind feels put upon. So it sort of fights back. Yeah, thanks for the good question. Yeah, Misty over here, second row of chairs. Hey folks, call me Misty and use they, them pronouns to describe me. Mark, I was curious, um, when one reaches the point of noticing the thoughts in the mind, has gone through the steps and has made it to that point, and there is um, a stickiness to the thoughts, something that feels important and there's curiosity about that. At what point is it not skillful to be curious about that stickiness and yeah. it is instead skillful to move back to a more grosser um, topic of awareness? Yeah, because things come up, even things that surprise us that we realize are hot or sticky, as Misty said, relevant. And then at that point, if it, if it really persisted, I might make a resolve, I need to think about this. I need to put some time in and really see what this is about, but not now. If, if possible, I would say, but not now. Now I'm practicing 
abandoning that. And I might take a few steps back and give my mind something more concrete. So I might go all the way back to step one and two. So there's that pull to engage that thought, you know. But instead, I'm inviting, could you be aware, would you be willing to be aware of this simple touching at the nostrils as you breathe in? You're going to be able to think about that, but not now. Now I'm doing this particular training. So I think generally speaking, it won't always work. We won't always be successful. But generally speaking, to be protective of that 30 minutes or 45 minutes you've set aside for this particular training. And it's important, though, you know, in our busy lives, we tend to make a choice like, oh, yeah, these are the things I really need to reflect on in my life. And, oh, yeah, there's my meditation practice. And we tend to bring those two things together. But they're really different things we need to do. A healthy person, when we have problems or unresolved pain, or well, we need to... You know, some people do it in therapy. Some people do it through journaling. Some people do it with good friends. Some people just do it by thinking it through, feeling it through on their own. But we got to do that work. It's what I would call more therapeutic work, which can be done any number of ways. But we're working at a more subtle level with this practice, the non-conceptual level. A lot of that therapeutic work is at a conceptual level, like we're really looking at old stories is that really true? Is there a more healthy way for me to tell that story of that part of my life that's more honest and more kind? You know, So th- that work is really important. And there's definitely some overlap between the subtle work and the therapeutic work. And Dharma, the teachings of the Buddha, includes both. And Western psychology, for sure, includes the therapeutic, but goes into this other realm that you might, for lack of a better word, call spiritual or awakening, what we call it in Buddhism. But yeah, I would be protective of our meditative space, of really wanting to work on, as much as possible, a non-conceptual level. So then the thoughts we're using are thoughts that point the mind to non-conceptual. Like, these are thoughts, breathing in, experiencing, you know, understanding, I'm sorry, what is it? Breathing in, uh, I gotta look. Yeah, breathing in long, one understands I breathe in long, right? That's a thought. It's a concept. But it points the mind, the attention, to something non-conceptual, just that physicality of that particular breath in, that particular breath out. I realize where I set myself up in having an open, undefined period of meditation it's important to have a specific time so I know when I can then stop and start thinking. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would make it just like we need to create a, a ritual for when we do this work. It's nice to create a ritual like when you're walking the dog, you know. I'll think through the things I need to really think through. Or when I'm having my coffee in the morning or having my herbal tea at night and I'm in my chair. I might not turn the TV on. I might, I mean, we really need that time. Some people, like I said, you know, have other structures that really support that deeper reflection about, yeah, just things that need to be thought through carefully. Yeah, thanks, Misty. What other, oh, it's 8.30. We have to leave it here.
So just uh, take a moment, put down the words. Just enough time for one or two easy breaths together. Appreciating all the people before us who did their practice. We are the recipient of all that good work that they did. And like it or not, now we're responsible for becoming wiser and kinder, finding our own way with these teachings. So we make them our own. We can model and share and organic ways so that this shared human wisdom gets passed along and we cultivate the causes for real peace and justice and ease in the world. So may this be so. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, Or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.